Welcome to the Knock on Archery podcast, where we bring all archers and bow hunters together from all walks of life with the goal to educate, empower, and inspire you to be better both in the field and on the range. We uh, we walked in the in the podcast room. Welcome, by the way. Oh, thank you. You like it? It's pretty cool. There's some neat stuff in here. Yeah, you gotta get closer. All right, scoot closer. Yeah, pretend like pretend like this is jujitsu. You gotta get in there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what the hardest part of this podcast is going to be is to get you to actually talk about stuff that everybody should know about you. Okay. So last night, um, you were talking to Harry, and I was I was telling him she's a freaking badass, dude. And he's just like, oh, yeah? And I'm like, yeah. And I, like, kind of started to tell him about some of your accolades. And he just, like, looked at me all adult-like and just goes, uh, let her tell her story herself, bro. <laughs> I'm just like, I said, all right, well, she probably, you're probably not going to get it out of her on her own. She's not going to just come out and tell you. He's just like, we'll see what happens. And I was just like, okay, well, let me get out of this debate. <laughs> yeah. Cause you and Harry have a lot in common. So we might as well back up. What's your schooling? Schooling. Um, I did an undergrad in biology and then I did some graduate work in environmental education pretty much. So in high school, what were your main sports? Were you super athletic in high school? Yes, yes. Uh, I was a gymnast for a long time and I got really tall and I wish someone had sat me down and said, hey, you are way too big for this. See, see, I told I told Lee, I feel like she's actually like she's more stacked than Andy. You're not true. I was going to guess swimming with like your shoulders because you have just like really broad shoulders, Uh you know, and and I think that posture, I think that's why people think that I'm big. I think it's just my shoulders. It's nothing else. You're six, five. That's really big. (laughs) (laughs) A forest giant. So you did gymnastics. I did gymnastics uh, through most of high school and uh, I played softball. I did a little, I think I did one season of track. But it was, there was always something. I was snowboarding. You know, it was like three seasons of something. You Where know? did you grow up? Upstate New York. Oh, so you boarded up there? Mm-hmm. How were the hills, like upstate New York? I've never been up there uh, now that you live in, like... Montana, yeah. yeah. Well, there was a... We were lucky because there was a little tiny ski hill, like 15 minutes from our house, but mm-hmm. it was like 500 feet of vert. It had a <laughs> cornfield at the top, which I never <laughs> thought was odd until I got out of state New York. <laughs> That's me. Like I worked, I worked and skied at this little, uh, slope called Wilmot mountain. And I mean, I loved going there and it was, you know, the lift ride looking back, I can't be more than like three or 400 yards up there. Yeah. And then it would just be like 15 seconds of bombing moguls. And then you're like back in line yeah. and, and going up. That's what my hill was. But I thought it was awesome. Yeah. No. But truthfully, it's like, it's just like, it's honestly a, a very good representation. I feel like I got pretty good at skiing and it was because it was so repetitive. You know, you're able to like, to get more in and it was probably better for like, like touch and go, you know, it was like you, you get to like rip a, some moguls, but your legs wouldn't be burned out mm-hmm. before you got to the bottom. And then you would take that ride up. It was probably really good drills, you know, truthfully compared to learning out West where you can take 20 minutes to get down. Yeah. Yeah. Now we, we would go bell to bell, my sisters and I, and 
just 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. night skiing. How many sisters you got? Uh, I have one sister. At the time, I had uh, some stepsisters, too. Oh, dang. Yeah, so we were there were four of us total at, that I grew up with, anyway. Was snowboarding new? Yes. Because I remember... I remember getting a snowboard. It was actually an OP snowboard. It was an Ocean Pacific snowboard. I don't even know. It was almost like I won it in some kind of a weird, you know, when you go into gas stations and you fill out your name and you fold it up and put it in that box. Like I didn't realize back then that meant everybody had your information. (laughs) You know, and luckily there weren't timeshares. It was a legit, it was more like, it was something from like, you know, Mountain Dew or something. And it was like something like that. And Mm -hmm. so they drew it. And I remember coming in and the, the clerk goes, you know, Hey, are you Dudley? And I go, yeah. He goes, Hey, you won that thing for like the 12 pack of Mountain Dew and this snowboard. And it just had like the old crappy, like flip up bindings. Yes. Yes. Was and I don't even know if they had proper snowboarding boots then. I think you just got your moon boots and like went in. Just barely. I mean, they weren't much off snow <laughs> snowmobiling boots at the time. Yeah. And then, yeah, we had a directional K2. It was like one of the first K2 snowboards. Oh. So it was flat on one side. And it was old even when we got a hold of it. My mom <laughs> found it at a garage sale and was like, here, you know. Nice. And it had the wire bale bindings that you would flip. Oh, so okay. If you landed hard, they would just all fly open and <laughs> had to kind of manage after that. But I actually found that board, uh, a friend found it for me on eBay and I got it for my sister again. And she was so excited. Wait, you got, you found an OG one? <laughs> yeah, we found it was the same board. It was a different size, but she was all pregnant. You know, it was when we were, it wasn't that long ago. She like ugly cried. She's like, I never thought I'd see this board again. She was so excited. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try to do that for Sharon for yeah. roller skates. Yes. Yeah. She, she like talks about these roller skates that she used to have and she described them to a T like mm-hmm. mine were this color with like these stripes down the side and she calls them roller boots. Mm-hmm. Like that's what they call them. So we, we, we Googled them and found a pair and I'm like, Oh dang, there's some out there. The that, nostalgia that. is deep. I mean, I hated that board at the time. It was so stiff. It was flat on one side. So you couldn't ride switch. You know, I was glad to get rid of it, but she really, you know, she's like, it was our first board. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's going back to your parents' house is always good to find something in there to where you're like, Oh my gosh, I used to have this thing. Yeah. And then you realize how dumb you looked in it. <laughs> so i went skiing um probably i would guess i would guess it was like five or six years ago someone in utah i went to you know i've got a lot of people i'm friends with in utah so i went back and they said oh we're gonna be skiing this weekend and this was before i learned to board with andy so i i said oh i'll i could i guess i could ski and they're like, really? You can ski? And I, st- I actually still have my skis. If I go up in my in my garage attic, I can grab them for you. But mm-hmm. this was probably only like five or six years ago. So it was like a few years before I snowboarded with Andy. Mm-hmm. So I roll up to Park City or wherever I skied. It was like Snowbird or Park City. I roll up with like my K2 Extreme freaking 208s. <laughs> you know, which is skis that are a little taller than me, which were cool at the time. Cause you could like Just follow your tips, totally but they're straight. like, yeah, they're about as thick. I mean, I would say my iPhone is thicker than those skis were back then. And then I had like, 
you know, my like flow pink and yellow degree seven suit and like yes. my Reikley boots, you know, God. <laughs> and <laughs> I just showed up. And like when I came like walking out, holding those things, people were looking at me and going like, right on, bro. Like they, th- they thought like this dude <laughs> so has like retro. shredded all these, you know, freaking <laughs> new, like short profile, you know, skis and everything. And he's like bringing it back old school, you know, like the guys that do, what is the like. It's like Tally art. Ski. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They thought I was like one of those dudes just bringing it back <laughs> from analog. the 80s. Yeah. And I was just thinking like, this, is this my isn't, gear. yeah, this isn't cool. <laughs> it wasn't anymore. ironic. What you, yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> How important do you think some of that, um, that early sport was to like kind of building your mindset to where you are now as an athlete? Cause you're, in my opinion, you're a super athlete because I've not only seen you a little bit um and what you do for your main job but also once you have a student obviously you you learn a lot about a student being being a teacher especially if you're like paying attention to them so I always say there's like people that are a hundred percent you know right away they're going to be really good students and they they could even push it to the point where they teach you something eventually. And I Mm -hmm. see that, I see that in you too, because you, you're very in depth and thorough. So I feel like you'll probably bring things up to me that I wouldn't have otherwise thought to like say, Oh, okay. You're going that far deep. Wow. I don't know about that, but like last night, you know, I've never had a student that like made me go downstairs and you didn't make me, but I did it because I saw that you were making notes and drawing a bow and every accessory and everything and like making little lines of this is a cable this is a string these are speed knocks these are knocking points this is a d loop and you were looking to say like you're googling what all those pieces are so then i finally said let me just go get a bow and i'll walk you through all this stuff which most people you know they're just thinking pull back and shoot but you're going into the technical side which for some people can be good. Some people can be bad for you. I think it'll be good because I don't think you're going to be over analytical about it, but there's some people that there's some students that I almost don't want to know how to work on their equipment because they put the equipment ahead of the process. Mm -hmm. And so then have you ever had that where, you know, it's like people are getting further down the fundamentals to where, you know, it's going to be problematic in, Anytime you have like technical gear that goes with that, I feel like you can become more of a gear junkie than a process person. And, you know, for me, the process has always been the key thing, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. For jujitsu, it's, there's just so much information available now that you can jump to some really complex things without understanding how they work. And then you don't have a foundation for it. Yeah. So they're focusing on, is it no. trouble for injury too, more um, so than just? So it can be if you don't, I mean, we have a rule now. We do a session with a student before they do open mat. So they understand the etiquette and just some of the safety rules. But one of the rules is if you see something on YouTube, you need to run it by a coach and have us help you learn it before you try it on someone. Yeah. And there's a reason we have that rule, <laughs> you know? So we had a, you know, more than, more than once, but one in particular a guy learned something the night before his first open mat and 
tore a guy's knee, you know, who had a physical job and was out of work, you know, couldn't walk. And it was like, of course he felt horrible, but it was like, he picked something up on YouTube. That's my biggest nightmare right there. Like I'll, I'll relive that. Like, damn it. I got paired up with this YouTube dude. (laughs) The YouTube guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we try a reverse shoulder lock. Oh man. Yeah. yeah, Dudley's got long enough arms. I can try it on him. uh, We have that rule for a reason. It's really rare that something like that happens, but I do mention it every time now (laughs) because it's just not necessary. People want to, they're like, Oh look, I can, I can learn this thing that maybe coach isn't going to show me for a while. And they don't know how to apply it. They don't know what it feels like. You should have it done to you, you know, if you're going to do it to someone else. <laughs> what does your water bottle, water bottle say on that other side? It says, perfect the craft. I love that. Judo and jujitsu. It's a dojo outfitters uh, sticker. Some of my friends that own uh, one of the only brick and mortar gi shops actually in the world in Portland, Oregon. And uh, they are very detail-oriented, just process-oriented people, both really proficient in both judo and jiu-jitsu, and they've... One That's of them, a good saying. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so relevant to archery, too, mm-hmm. because, I mean, a lot of times the when you when you start archery like you already have an edge it seems like you have to polish more than you have to take off meat you know what i mean it seems like right away if you get the right instruction and if your equipment is fit to you when you start it seems like there's just a lot there's a lot of just like honing more so than you know you just have to you have to like do something lightly so much to where it becomes it becomes polished. You know, you just have to perfect it over time versus there's not like a major cheat, like way where you can just grind off a whole bunch of stuff to right. get to an edge. You kind of just need to polish a lot. Yeah. You know? Everyone wants to learn that life hack. And it's like, it actually is just hours. It's just hours and repetition and repetition. And then being in front of someone that knows what to correct at the right time. Too. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. You guys have the best, I loved the environment. Like when I go up to SBG with Andy, the environment makes me want it. It it makes me want to wait for that type of environment before I go like deep headfirst, mm-hmm. you know, which, yeah. which is a compliment obviously to you guys. Now, did you do any sports in college? Not really. I did, well, I can't say that. I did karate. Okay. I got a black belt in karate. Okay. You did? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. There's a lot of, you know, there was no jujitsu really on the East Coast where, mm-hmm. I, where I went to school. So I, my mom got into martial arts and she wanted me to have some self-defense. So she got me into karate and I was kind of craving that sport environment. And I think my last school sport I did was diving. Actually, I really enjoyed diving because it's like gymnastics but when you hit the the water if you mess up you just smack you don't <laughs> land on the ground crumpled you know or break something so I'm like oh this is great you know no this is fine <laughs> if you mess up you just fall in the water you know I didn't care about slapping at all and so I enjoyed that and I loved the practice and it was always part of my life and then you graduate and you're like well I'm not gonna do diving in college. What am I going to do? So I, there was a karate club and I had just gotten into it as I was leaving home. So I got pretty into karate and 
karate is more of uh, most schools anyway are more of an art than yeah forms. A fight. Yeah, so we're katas, you know, which was a lot like gymnastics. I was in karate for quite a while. Yeah, actually, okay. I've never like even said that, but yeah, it's amazing. It's, yeah, it's more forms and katas yeah. and stuff. Do you remember any of them? I remember some of them, and it. You know, when I first started, you could compete, and if you could do flips and stuff, you know, I could still do some flips at the time. Yeah. You did pretty well if you could kick high and do flips, you know. Yeah. And I tell the story, you know, I did my black belt test, and there was a self-defense co- component to it, and everything was off of one punch. It was very choreographed. You knew which hand your partner was punching with usually, but there was mm-hmm. a, a part of the test at the end where it was a little more free form, and one of the students punched me twice. So my first one I blocked and it was this beautiful, like, ah, you know, block. Yeah. And then the second one, he just punched me in the face. And I was like, ah, <laughs> and then I was like, oh, that's not great. You know, just, so I had a black eye the next day for my karate test and the coaches were mad. They gave him pushups, you know, but in my mind, I'm like, shouldn't I be able to deal with more than one punch? You know, like what if someone throws a second punch, your hands totally down and you're doing this cool block with the other hand. And it's like, what's they, what are they going to do with their other arm? Punch you in the that face. That was so, yeah, so true. It was very much like a one strike. Like, you know, you had like do all this cool stuff yeah, while they could, just stand there. Yeah. Yeah. You could, you yeah. can do all that stuff. Well, there was some throwing too. So there was a little bit of grappling. It was a mixed style of martial arts that I realized was pretty specific to upstate New York, you know, which oh, happened yeah. that someone made their own style, which the idea was, it was a precursor to kind of what I got into. And when I started traveling, I just did whatever little martial arts school was where I was. Cause I okay. was a, I was a ranger. I was a wilderness ranger for a while. And I was just trying, I did Kung Fu, I did Taekwondo, I did Aikido, I did, you know, whatever was there. And I was looking for something that was, you know, as physically demanding as the sports I had done, but also had, you know, the mental component and and was more functional. And I stumbled upon jujitsu. I was in a rec center in Alaska and they had a a random class (laughs) that I ran into before I came down to Montana. And my coach, Travis, uh, just happened to be opening the first SPG in, in Kalispell, Montana, when I came back down. Because I was like, there's not going to be... Was that the first? His, the very fir- Our headquarters is in Portland, Oregon, uh, with Matt Thornton. Mm-hmm. And Travis and his brother had gotten their black belts. They were the first white to black belts from the Portland gym. And so he had broken off. I think he was a brown belt at the time. And he happened to be starting this little jujitsu gym. I was one of his first six students and I was calling him all the time. Cause he, he was opening it. He was renovating a new space. And I was like, when are you, when are you starting? You know, yeah. like when are you going to do it? I was kind of hooked already. And uh, I was like, this is what I've been looking for. It's functional. It's hard. And then SPG really matched with just kind of, I had tried all these martial arts and I was realizing they were just style differences. They weren't function differences. Yeah. And I was like, I mm-hmm. want something that's functional that you can test. And, um, that was kind of the idea for SBG. It was, uh, a forerunner to mixed martial arts. That if something works, you use it. And if it doesn't work, you don't use it and you should be able to test it. Yeah. I really liked that. It was very much in line with my science background and then just trying all these different oh, yeah. styles. I was like, I just want something that works and you can see if it works. And in jujitsu, you know, if you can do something or not, if, and against what size person and what strength, like what can you pull off? You know, there's no... There's no uh, kind of lying about it. Have you brought it full circle back to your mom to say like, hey, you, you know, I know you're into self-defense and you like wanted that for us. But like oh, man. the karate was cool, but like jujitsu is a totally different beast. She went deep down the 
the traditional martial arts rabbit hole. And she's an artist. She's a really good painter. And she loves the performance part of it. She loves the tradition part of it. So she get, she got like fourth or fifth degree in karate. And then she started Aikido, mm-hmm. which is similar. And I did some Aikido too. It's all off sword movements. But your yeah. partner has to attack you with a lot of energy and momentum to make anything work. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a really specific way. So it ends up being kind of choreographed. They get good at falling, mm-hmm. you know, just like judo. Um, so she got her black belt in that and she did some Yaido too, which is traditional sword kata, Japanese sword. Uh, so in your house, do you have like some fans and swords and shit on the wall at her house? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. At her house. Yeah. She, uh, so she got pretty into that and I, I, she did do a jujitsu class with me in Portland. It was when she was a little older and she's like, Oh yeah, this is cool. You know, if she'd, if she'd been a little younger, I think she would have enjoyed doing it. Um, she didn't really like sparring though, even in karate. So I don't know if, I don't know if she would have gone that far with it, yeah. but she was, she got me into it, you know? So, um, we talked about That's it. She pretty had, cool. So she, did the other sisters do it? Like kind of have that same option or were you kind of like selected like, Hey, tough stuff. We kind of feel like this would be a good thing for you. <laughs> she wanted us to do it for self-defense. So at first my little sister did it and she was not into it. You know, she, it was just not her thing. You know, she did track and she was not into confrontation or fighting or anything like that. So she's, you know, always been really supportive of my journey, but it was just not her, not her thing. My mom did have me teach one time at her Aikido school. I think it was like a purple belt and she wanted me to teach something. I was like, I really don't want to go at this point. I understood the difference and you just go to practice. I'll be fine. I was visiting and she had me teach and I said, well, I'll teach a a cross collar choke, you know, from Mount and none of them had ever done chokes, even though they worn a gi for 20 years or whatever, didn't know how to choke with the collar. And uh, there was a man in the class that was athletic and he was a little younger and there's all these older people and he wasn't a great partner for Aikido. So he would resist the techniques, especially when my mom would try to do it Yeah. instead of just going with or throwing himself, you know, which you kind of have to. And, uh, she, he was on top of an older guy or he was on the bottom and he said, I would never be in this position. You know, he's in Mount bottom. I would never let this happen. I would never be in this position. And I was like, well, what would you do? He's like, I would just throw him off. You know, he does what everyone does and just tried to shove him. And yeah. I was like, okay, well, why don't you let him do the choke? He's like, it's not working. It doesn't work. And I said, okay, I'm going to get on top of you. I'm going to do the choke. And remember you got to tap, you know, when you feel it. <laughs> and he just sat there and I was like, is this not working? You know, the whole class is watching me. They're all standing around us. Yeah. And, I looked down at him and I realized he was out. He was unconscious, <laughs> but his eyes were open and he was just staring. And I was like, oh no, and I got off of him. And there was this, at the time I thought if people would grab someone's legs, if they went out and try to like move the blood back to their head. So I went down and I was like shaking his legs, try to get him to wake up. And he comes, you wake up and you do this agonal breathing, you know, you go like, oh. and so he starts, they're like, what's wrong? What's he doing? I'm like, he's unconscious. They're like, oh my goodness. You know, they're like, what's going on? Yes. And uh, he woke up and he's like, oh, oh. I was like, are you all right? And he's like, why wouldn't I be? And he's like, you don't know you lost time. But I'm yeah. like, otherwise I would have teleported to his feet. You know, and he was just like, oh my God. And uh, I asked my mom what happened. And he's like, she's like, he quit like a week later. He didn't come back. Oh, damn. <laughs> was done with it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he's never living that one down. That's no. awesome. So once you, 
like so did Travis open that the first official Kalispell one and then at that point where you just like everything and everything else just gets pushed to the side this is not I told I was so into snowboarding at the time you know I was I was an instructor for about 16 winters you know and that's one of the big reasons I moved to Montana was just to to snowboard. My sister came out and lived with me for a season. I was like, we made it, you know, <laughs> came from the cornfield. Now we're here. you know. <laughs> and, uh, she ended up going back to New York. I was like, no, no, this is, this is where we're supposed to be. Yeah. You know, it was amazing. We were both instructors. It was, it was a lot of fun, but did uh, you learn your instruction from whoever taught you snowboarding or did you ever take any type of like teaching type classes in school? Uh, so I, I did go through, there were levels of certification to be a snowboard instructor. Mm-hmm. So I got to like level two, you know, and worked toward the level three. I didn't quite get there. So some teaching there. And then my mom was a teacher growing up. So it was just kind of, you know. Who did it? Was it like the ski patrol? Kinda? No, no. There's a whole um, association of, there's a national association of ski and snowboard instructors. So there's a really rigorous testing process to become uh, a certain level of instructor now. See, I remember when snowboard snowboarding in some ways was like skating in some mm-hmm. ways when the fact that like some mountains did not want to snowboard and i remember hearing like freaking snowboard they wreck all the snow yeah. and you know there was like that whole time where mm-hmm. snowboarders had a specific run they could use right yeah it wasn't like and now you go and like the tides have really turned. There's still a few mountains where you're not allowed to snowboard. Is there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's always a few of those old timers out there yeah. just pushing it through. Yeah. No, I, when I started teaching, I was 16 and it was like, there were no other people who could snowboard or just not many, you know? Mm-hmm. So they're like, we'll let these kids teach people how to snowboard, you know? And it was, snow was super hard, you know, and we're hiking up oh, this little man. hill next to the lodge. And I got a lot better at teach. I had a lot more instruction on how to teach when I came out west because they have such a better you know they have a better process now imagine being an adult size and skiing on that crap that we had to ski like because wilmot mountain was pretty much an ice cube yes ice coast with like shaved <laughs> ice yes. on the top of it and occasionally like twice a year you'd get six inches oh, of snow man. and you'd just be like we got powder yeah. no and there it just were... meant your moguls had like uh, you know, enough dust on the top to where when you hit the ice bucket, you know, the ice ball, it like some snow would blow yeah. off. My skis were always stress fractured across it. <laughs> were yours like on the tips where they're just slapping and like cracking backwards? I don't think we probably rode the same way. Oh, really? <laughs> no, yeah. That's my guess. You were putting a little more strain on your equipment. <laughs> yeah. Every, yeah. That's the story of my life for yeah. sure. Well, so, so then when did you just go full on? Like, I know jujitsu is where I'm going. Well, it, was I, it a certain I, belt or a certain rank? Yeah, or? It, it, it was a long process. I went, um, so you asked about teaching. So I taught snowboarding and then I did environmental education. So I got a graduate degree in environmental education. Mm-hmm. And uh, the economy kind of tanked. And they were like, we're not really hiring people to do that anymore. Like I was a wilderness ranger and I was doing education classes. And those jobs were so hard to find. Like they yeah. were just kind of shrinking. So I said, I'll go back to school for classroom science teaching. So okay. I went to Portland and I could still train jujitsu there at our headquarters. Uh, and what so, uh, rank were you by then? Like what I belt? was a blue belt when I came out of Montana Okay. Um, and I wanted to keep training, but I was still snowboarding a lot. And, you know, I was, I knew I was going to keep doing it, but I had no idea it would be a career. You know, I was yeah. pretty into it at the time, but, um, 
I, t- I started taking it more and more seriously, and I, I finished my graduate degree, and I started classroom teaching in Portland. So I was teaching science. I was teaching high school biology and environmental science and um, ornithology for a little bit, some other, some other things. But it was just for, you know, and I, it was so hard, and I was doing too much on top of it. I was still teaching snowboarding lessons at Mount Hood, and I was trying to train for worlds in jujitsu. And of course you can imagine like that year, everything didn't go as planned. Yeah. And <laughs> I didn't get asked back to the teaching job. I wasn't very happy doing it either. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to lose the snowboarding. So it was the only time I was going outside really. And you're driving an hour and a half up to Mount Hood oh. you know, to teach. Um, and so that was, that was pretty extreme. And they were so short on instructors. We had a couple of bad snow years. I ended up teaching skiing. My last lesson I taught, it was like skiing in the rain and the kid didn't really want to be there. And I was like, I think I might be done with this. <laughs> you know? And then, uh, so yeah, I was teaching and I didn't get back, asked back to that job. And I was a brown belt at the time. Um, I hurt my knee pretty badly because I was just, I was training so hard on top of everything else. And Matt takes all of his brown belts uh, to Europe mm-hmm. and you go roll there. And it's like, he wants to see how you're going to do there. You get more integrated into the global organization. You help teach seminars. It's kind of a rite of passage for yeah. his his black belts. And uh, so I went with him, and my knee was jacked up, but I was still rolling. I just kind of put a brace on it, and I, I developed this kind of – I was just rolling around it, yeah. basically. And mm-hmm. um, I did pretty well, you know. And, we were yeah, we were in Ireland and uh, England, and um, so – it was, that was kind of the pivotal point for me. So the teaching job wasn't there anymore. And I was like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do after this. I have this degree. And I thought that that was going to be my way to kind of have a more stable mm-hmm. life. But being back in a classroom, like I didn't love high school. You yeah. know, it just, yeah. you're back in there. You're on that schedule. I like the gym and I like the practice fields. Yeah, the sports. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, I'm teaching students, you know, the science curriculum hasn't changed since we were in high school. Oh, and dang. so I was teaching the same things in the same order. You spend so much time on cell biology and learning the parts of the cell. And I said, I don't know that this is helping prepare these kids for life. Mm. And a lot of them kind of knew they didn't need to know it. So they didn't really want to be there. You know, you're trying to teach kids 90 new vocabulary words in a, in a week and then test them on it. Some of them don't even speak English. You know, I was just like, I don't know if I'm really helping them. Yeah. And I feel like I'm doing that more with jujitsu, to be honest, like the people who come in there and the kids, particularly the women, um, I feel like they're better for having trained with me and they're, coming there for a reason. They're searching for something. They're trying to get something out of it. So I, I feel like I'm having more of an impact on the people around me teaching jujitsu than I was teaching science. Um, so how much of you yeah. guys had to tailor the, like, I would say the kid kids. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, you deal with some kids where I think, okay, that they're, they're teen, like at that point, they're just like rough housing kind of in a organized manner. <laughs> I mean, how much of that, how much of that do you just kind of teach them rolls or teach them flips? Like how deep do you go with the younger kids? Is there a certain like age category where you say, okay, this kind of starts a different approach to the training or is it very similar regardless of age category? It's very age specific. We have a program actually called Growing Gorillas that is written out of the Montana gym. That was one of the reasons Montana was my home gym. And, 
you know, after that summer, Travis called me and he said, you know, I have a full-time position, coaching position available. You could help, help manage, you know, and compete full-time because that was something I always wanted to do, but just, I'd always been working or grad school and I'd competed a lot, but it was always in between. It wasn't my focus. So I was like, okay, I'm going to come train full-time and coach full-time and really take this seriously. And the other thing they were doing out of that gym is the Growing Gorillas curriculum. And it's specific to every two years of age. And, you know, I'd gone to school to be a teacher. Child development is really important and what kids can learn at each phase. And I had touched on it in snowboarding too. So what kids are physically capable of and mentally capable of at each year of age changes. So if you understand that, you can tailor the curriculum to what they're doing. So we start them at three and we have a class for every two years of age up till 13 to 15 is a, or like 16 or 17 is a bigger, the teen class is a bigger span. Mm -hmm. And we have three and four year olds, five and six, seven and eight, 10 to 12. And each class is a very different ecosystem, very different approach, but we're, we're following the same curriculum, but we're just tailoring it to what they're able to do. For example, the three to five year olds, three to three to five. Yeah. Their heads are bigger. You know, they don't have a lot of core strength. Um, their fine motor coordination isn't where it is going to be in a few years. And they more and more get into their adult body and they're able to do some more intricate things, but the bigger movements, the gross movement and, and helping them get to those developmental milestones faster can happen through jujitsu, through their warmups. You know, they're, they're learning cooperation. There's a social emotional component to it as yeah. well. They're around other kids. They're learning to cooperate. They're learning to there's structure and discipline within the class, which mm-hmm. I kind of feel like a big reason why I liked sport and, and was always in so many different ones is because I, I really feel now like I liked I like the structure and the routine to it more so than shouldn't say more so, but that was just a big key factor because I came from a home where there wasn't like a super structured schedule. Right. Um, I was on my own a lot. So I think it just like I think just. That having a routine was something that I didn't know that I liked because I needed it. But yeah. I think that is, it's just key. Like, and not to mention um, now that I've honestly, since I've seen Sharon as a mom, because Sharon is um, an awesome mom. And I know everyone says that about their mom, but mm-hmm. she is really good about um, like her discipline and her reinforcement, she's never had to like be physical Mm -hmm. for like getting the result. She's just very, very, she knows, she knows the importance of consistency and like not continually like giving warnings, giving warnings, giving warnings, and then somehow without knowing it, giving a reward, like, you know what I mean? So, um, it's pretty cool to watch, you know, that. And I think, um, for me, most teachers would have said, Oh, he's ADD, HD, mm-hmm. like, you know, just medicate this kid and, yeah. and just chill him the freak out, you know? And the truth is I actually just needed structure. Yeah. You know, I think because I didn't, I got in trouble less because I knew that I wouldn't be able to play if I, if I got in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And our, our program, you know, when they earn a belt, their teacher has to sign off on it and their parents. So they have to be doing well at home. They have to be doing well in school. And 
I get to coach those kids for multiple years too, which as a teacher, you know, as a high school teacher, you get to see them for one period a day just for that one year and you might not see them again. You know, it can have a big impact, but that's it. And for jujitsu, these kids stay at the school. You know, I've been teaching full time for about six years and I've had some of the kids for that whole time, you know, and they've just, I've gotten to watch them grow from being little guys into teenagers, you know, and how their jujitsu changed, how they've changed socially and how they've grown. You know, that's, that's really cool for me. It's so rewarding as a teacher. Um, I honestly wish I could go back to some of the teachers that I took serious and stuff because I've like, once I left high school, I was gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've only been back. I've only been back to my whole hometown, like maybe once, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe two days. Um, so I've never like got to go and talk to some of these teachers. Some of them, it would be nice for them to know like, okay, this kid didn't, you know, end up being dead somewhere <laughs> in a ton of dumpster. I think you can, you can, because there are things that I never told teachers like, I know you don't think that I heard you, but that, that some of those things actually did sink in. Mm-hmm. Like I would love to go back to my English teacher and show him how many things I've written and, you know, and show him like, you know, I've done hundreds and hundreds of articles and stuff like that. Or I'd love to go back to um, like a graphic arts class and just kind of say like, Hey, here's, from a marketing aspect, because I never had education past school. Everything mm-hmm. has always been learning in the field. Yeah. So, you know, I literally, my first job was at a bow company when I was 18 years old, you know? So as soon as I got out, I started my shop right when I turned 18. Cause I have a late, late birthday. My birthday's in June. It's in a couple of weeks. So I had graduated, had my birthday and then between me, um, technically when I was like recruited for college, I was still 17. So then I turned 18. Then by the time I did the archery shop and kind of come all the way around to about May of that next year, I'd opened my own archery shop. Mm -hmm. You know, by that point I'd worked for an archery shop, then, you know, ended up realizing they weren't as customer service focused as what I'd want. So then I opened my own archery shop, which was small. I had five grand and I think I, I think I bought like seven bows and seven dozen arrows and just started kind of doing what I do now, just on a smaller, like a much smaller scale. Um, and then ended up getting kind of seen by um, Joel Maxfield and Matt McPherson. And they ended up um, just seeing how I interacted with people about archery Mm -hmm. and then offered me, you know, a job at Matthews when they were still, you know, really small at the time. And so everything I've learned wasn't through a school system, really, because I only did enough school to be eligible for sports. Yeah. But there were still like nuggets. There were still seeds that I realized like that kind of they were they were growing roots more so than tops. You know, I yeah. think, you know, there's certain like legumes that do that. Right. Or especially like uh, native grasses. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they don't if you plant switchgrass or like a big blue, which you know is a really awesome, pretty tall grass with cover it doesn't look like that until like the third year in Hmm. because it's just establishing root base, you know, so you're not, you're not actually seeing a result, but there's foundation like solidifying in. And I think some of the, 
some of the lessons that teachers would say to me or coaches would say, I think that stuff was in my head and then it was kind of there. And then other things were fertilizing it later on in life to where it started to like establish. And then I started to realize what they meant by it. And then I started to like apply it, you know? Yeah. And I'm having gone to so much school, I'm less enchanted by it. And you get some guidelines, some framework, some understanding, but you really have to go out and apply it. And that's where you really start learning everything. Um, And it was obvious from your progression that you've, you know, you've taught so many beginners. I think the beginner progression is the most important because that's where you establish the fundamentals. And people think, oh, it's so easy to teach beginners, you know, and it's like, it's a blank slate. So you have to show them everything. And then what they do after that is going to be based on what you showed them. So it just, it affects actually the rest of their career in that sport. So I think that's actually the most important step. How much have you guys learned over time to, to boil those processes down? Like if you look at, Hey, when we were taught, we were shown this and then this and then this and then this. And then, you know, when in the end we should have just learned this first, then we could have done this next. And then like all these other things would have just made more sense. Have you guys done that over time? Cause yes. I know I have yes, like absolutely. as a coach, um, or as someone that, that does seminars, I just, cause I used to go to a seminar and just want to like give a lot of information that I think was information people maybe didn't hear Mm. but then it got to the point where i'm like i need to give information that gives a change that Mm. that gives an impact because then they then they come back and then you can start you know kind of progressing things along yeah you know well obviously you're an animal (laughs) <laughs> at, at every sport and now archery. So oh, I don't know about that. Let's get into, uh, let's get into the archery thing. So you're, you're technically an archer, you know, because you have <laughs> shot, you shot arrows just like, when arrows. I, yeah, just yes. like when I was on Jocko's podcast and he's like, well, you, you did surf. I mean, you got up and you know, you paddled <laughs> out, surfer. you paddled out, you got on top of the wave. No one was touching your board. You mm-hmm. got up like you surfed. So you've pulled a bow back, yeah. you know, you've let off the safety, you've pulled through a release and mm-hmm. you have shot archery. So coming from someone that's obviously done a lot of rad things, what, what do you think? Well, I enjoyed it a lot. Like I said, I was super fortunate to be able to learn from you, um, you know, your experience level, but just, I could tell you taught so many beginners and, the way we used to teach jujitsu is you would just come in and you would just roll. You would Mm -hmm. just do a full on match your first day and you either liked it or you left. And most people did not stick around, especially women. And now we have a beginner class where you just drill and you Mm -hmm. learn the building blocks. So you have some kind of a structure, you know, you do a session with a coach in between and then you do your first live matches and it's like a months long process. And Mm -hmm. When we first started doing that, that, called foundation. Yeah. Foundations class in our school. And when we first started doing that, I'm like, Oh, it's going to make people soft. They're not going to understand how to roll. And they're, you know, it's going to be, it's not going to work. And people are just so much better. They're so much better. It's so much safer. We're keeping people who normally would not have made it through that. Those initial hard matches, not knowing what they're doing. You know, we're keeping people who weren't necessarily athletes. They're smaller. We have people who are older, people who are women who can get lots of benefit out of jujitsu, but just wouldn't have done it. 
And so when you, when we came in and you handed us just the shot trainer, I'm sure some people would have been super frustrated. Like I came here to shoot a bow, not stand here with a string on a chalk line, you know, and I was actually so glad. I was like, that's too much to start with. And I was like, I feel like we can kind of build up some of the, the necessary fundamentals before we try it and might have a chance of doing okay. You know, I would have been, it would have been hard to be handed a bow, but I'm sure that's the way it used to be done. Like you just walk up and they're like, here's a compound bow this is what you do and you just try to shoot it. And I'm sure that didn't necessarily go well. (laughs) I was handed like a man's bow, you know, as a kid. And it's just like, okay, try to just do this, figure out how to pull this thing back. I mean, I had to pull mine back with like my feet. Like I could, you know, I couldn't even get it back, you know, but like with you guys, um, and there were, we did, we had three people all learning. So yeah, I kind of gave you a release and gave you a string more as a distraction to know, like there's hope we're going to, we're going to do something with this today. Um, but there was quite a bit of time that we had to put into building other steps before you finally like realized I get to use this release. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, the release is there's some critical bad things that can happen if you let go of it. You know, you're telling those stories. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine if you just handed someone that right off. I feel like they would absolutely blow their bow apart or just, <laughs> sometimes or something people else. Do. Yeah. yeah, sometimes people do. And, and uh, you know, the honest ones get further along when they just say like, yeah, uh, I did this. And it's like, okay, well, that's not good. But, you know, it's fixable, you know, at least it's fixable and we can move forward. What are some of your biggest takeaways from the archery Mm -hmm. lesson? Tip tip that up a little bit. So you're like talking right into it. That. Yeah. Better. Okay. Uh, One, I mean, it's very posture based, which a lot of jujitsu is too. Um, You have to be able to keep your structure under pressure under force yeah just like when you're trying to pull the bow back and if you know a lot of the common errors that you mentioned the hitching the crowding of the shoulder it's a posture break yeah and then that force is getting funneled into a part of your body that could later cause injury but is also messing up your shot Mm -hmm. so there were some similarities some correlations there that I could kind of follow and understand Um, doing it of course is a whole other story. So mm. that's going to take a lot of practice. Um, so very posture based, more technique than strength in a lot of ways to mm-hmm. pull the bow back from what you were describing and even got easier in just the few shots we did. Just yeah. if you're doing it right. And something you said, you said, uh, to make a bad shot is really hard. It's a lot of work. Yeah. And so I, that really resonated because jujitsu is like that too. And, you know, if you're holding on really tight, which is a, it's instinctive for new people in jujitsu, they want to clench their fists and hold and everything's so tense. Mm. And then their jujitsu is, it's not good. And yeah. you'll have people tell them, relax, relax, but you can't relax everything or it falls apart. So you have to figure out what structure you need to hold and what you need to let go of, you know, and, uh, so for the archery, it was like that too. The grips, especially, you're like, well, you have to hold on to the release, yeah. but your hand can't be a claw. You know, yeah. the claw <laughs> hand does not help you, but you won't let go of the release, but it's it's not, you have to find that happy medium. So there was some, some uh, similarities there too, just what's instinctive versus what is technical and what's going to actually help your shots. Yeah. There's so many parallels because 
when Andy and I were talking, we were talking about skydiving and, you know, the fact that, you know, you're talking maneuvers and how that affects yourself in a wind tunnel or, you know, if you're falling out of the sky. But one of the hardest things is like if if you're like not trying to fight the wind because you're not going to win. Right. Right. You know, you, what you want to try to do is you want to you want to try to maneuver this force that's that's happening you know there's a force that's happening and you want to learn to maneuver it so yeah you know death gripping the bow is problematic right you know <laughs> making you know holding on to the release is is important but like you know pretty much making a fist on the release is problematic yeah so there's so many parallels to things that you have to you have to have control, but you have to have like managed control. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You have to be, you have to have finesse, you right. know, and that's one of the things. And I assume with, I've never got good enough at golf to us to like know that, but I assume with golf, you know, once you start to become very fluid, you almost become more efficient at it. Yes. You know, and that's one of the things I talk to you guys about is just the efficiency of a good shot is almost a surprise because of how easy it was. And those are the shots when everything was actually right, even though, you know, for me, I feel like I remember specifically when I didn't know what a good shot was and I was trying to find it. I remember having those ones where I thought they just went too soon or like, oh, it surprised me. And I'm like, oh, man, where's that? Oh, it's in the middle. That's strange. But the truth is I had tripped over good shots. Like I just I just happened to like trip over something that was right. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was looking for yet. It just, you know, it just kind of happened. And a lot of times on day two, that happens to archers, you mm. know, cause they spend a lot of time thinking about it and the visualization is key in any sport. Right. So I think, you know, for you, you were already taking notes this morning. I'm sure, you know, the others are doing the same and thinking about it. So a lot of times when you pick it up on day two, you there's some things where you're like, oh man, you know, how do I do this again? And you, you know, there's a few of those, but then there's also just this small window where it's just like, okay, you were, you showed all of your potential because you were, things were happening without you overanalyzing and overthinking it. And then once you realize you do it good, you're like, oh, do it just like that. And I'll repeat it. It always happens when people shoot their first good group. Mm-hmm. They get down there and they're like, oh, I got this. And then all of a sudden they start thinking about, you know, I've put three arrows in there. I want this fourth one like so tight in there so I can take my picture. And then, you know, and then the hiccup happens. which it goes is, into the wall yeah, <laughs> through yeah. the barn door. Yeah, which is common. Is that is it that way with, with your students too? Yes, and there's kind of sine waves to what kind of days you'll have rolling. Some days it'll just feel effortless and your timing is so good and everything just lines up. And then the next time you come in and it's usually when you're working on something. So you're overthinking, your timing is off and you just get smashed, you know, and you're like, man, I thought I was good at this. And then you have a day where you're like, I actually am terrible at this. Yeah. So I think that's, I mean, part of the process of getting better, you know, but it's when something works in jujitsu, it is nearly effortless, you know, a sweep or just you're moving a whole other person, moving yourself. And it just, it just happens. And then you're always chasing that, you know? Yeah. Have you had 
matches and stuff where you know you're just in a flow state. Yes. Where, like, when you watch back, you're like, whoa, I didn't realize I was, like, moving that smooth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. At some of my higher-level competitions, and it did really help to compete a lot growing up. Yeah. In gymnastics or diving, you're kind of the only one out there. So if you mess up, everybody sees you, yeah. you know, so you get used to that. I mean, it's acclimation of performance. Yeah. You know? Just not just being okay with losing and knowing, you know, being confident enough as a person that if you lose, you can absorb it and move on and learn from it instead of just being crushed by it. Um, so having that experience before I competed in jujitsu, cause I didn't start jujitsu until I was uh, 26, mm-hmm. but I competed, you know, at a very high level and the sport is so small that I was going against, you know, people who are multiple time world champions, which was yeah. very cool. You know, the yeah. best in the world, literally. And, uh, you know, I held my own a lot of times I, I'm, I got bronze one year in worlds and, uh, silver and Pan Ams. That was kind of my best competition year, but having started so late in life and everything. Um, and again, it is a smaller sport, especially for women, but it was, um, you know, all of that competition experience leading up to it that I actually did better in the competition than I would do in the gym. And for a lot of people, they can't get their gym role to line up with, their competitive role, but I was able to just focus on only what was going on in front of me and just react the best possible way. You know, I did some of my best jujitsu at those, in those really big stages. It's funny. I always feel that way too. I don't feel like I'm a good, I don't feel like I'm a, I shouldn't say I'm not a good practicer because I definitely have discipline when it comes to training. Like I really love the process of training, but I also have a very difficult time practicing at the intensity level of like what just happens when I'm at things like, you know, it's just, it's, it's like a different thing happens. Mm -hmm. And I, it's, it's often a struggle for me to find that in practice. Now there have been times, there were times specifically when I was competing a lot, like honestly competing more than I practiced because it was just every weekend, every weekend, every weekend. And you kind of get to the point where, you know, there's like, there's probably at that time, there's probably two dozen archers that, that I know were at a level that were all, they were all good enough to win, but there were also probably six that had things clicking to where, you just you just knew who was like yeah there were people that were going to always be like within they're going to be looking they're going to be looking at finals like mm-hmm. they may not have made it but you kind of know who those people are going to be so it got to the point where i could really visualize who would be in my peer group targets so i would kind of know like okay you know this is going to come down to you know, the top four and I was envisioning who was on like the bail with me and, and you kind of get to know people too. And I remember one time practicing at my house and it, I kind of went too deep. I was like calling to myself, like, okay, here's what everyone's score is on this. I'm down by three, you know, this guy's here, you know, we've, I know what targets are left on the course and this guy kind of suffers on this type of shot and this guy is going to excel here. So, you know, I'm kind of already in my head putting together, like, I, if I'm clean from here on out, it's going to come down to still a sudden death arrow at the end. Mm-hmm. And there were, there was a few times in my career where 
my finals were exactly something that I had like put together in my mind mm. in a weird way mm-hmm. and, and prepped for. But I would say 90% of my practice time in life as an athlete, I wasn't able to like get into game mode during practice. It was always very hard for me. Yeah. I know that I needed to drill but like if someone just said, hey, if I was practicing at home and someone said, hey, closest to center, it's not like it, my mindset is not even close to the same. Right. As if, you know, when I pack up that bow case and I'm heading somewhere knowing there's just a very different like feeling, mm-hmm. you know, and and it seems like when that I don't know if it's that person, but when that mindset comes out the likelihood of flow state is like it's within it like it's within reach yes. you know whether or not it happens i don't know it, it could but flow state in practice is pretty rare mm-hmm. for me there's been a f- there's been a few times i can remember it ever happening yeah and jujitsu Oh, that's why a lot of people love it. And that's one of the reasons I love it. And it's in an open mat. You can get into that flow state. Yeah, yes. And it's, it's different. You're not trying to win, but you're completely absorbed in your own movement and, and feeling the intensity of the other person. Yes. Sometimes people obviously are bringing a lot more serious game than maybe what you at yes. first were in Often. that. Yeah. <laughs> Often. I have a lot of fun when I roll, uh, but so not necessarily trying to win, but being completely absorbed by what's happening right in front of you and your own movement in a competition, there's a lot more force and speed. And you're also, you're thinking a little bit more strategy. You know, you're all, you are trying to win Mm -hmm. uh, a lot for me, a lot more, you know, I'm not worried about winning every transition when I'm in open mat, you know, if I'm in competition practice, that's a little different, but, um, it was hard for me to recreate that intensity outside of a competitive space. Also, have you find that sometimes when you know, when you know, someone's trying to beat you really hard, like someone's really trying to like take it to you, Mm -hmm. but you also, you're like, you're easily counteracting that it's. And then when you start to see the frustration build in there, I've had times where, I've like got into flow states simply because I was like trying to feed the frustration. <laughs> Have you ever had that where all of a sudden you realize like, actually I was, I was freaking on a roll right there. Mm. And it was because you weren't really think you weren't thinking about it. What you were doing is enjoying the the moment of like, seeing frustration in someone else. Have you ever had that? <laughs> I wouldn't say. Sounds like Andy every day. But. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He has a, he has a little different outlook. <laughs> Jiu-jitsu, the buds instructor comes out Does uh, it? a little bit. Yeah. He, he's like, Oh, are you quitting? Yeah, that's too bad. You know, did you just tap to a position? Oh, you know, after, <laughs> that's him. Yeah, you that's know, I'm, him. I'm a little less like that, but with newer, I roll with newer people a lot and you're so far ahead of them that you don't really have to think about it too much plus you're like part of the gym yeah you can just kind of play around and it's it's just it's fun for you you but especially you can't like anger people whereas andy can do it and then just like go home (laughs) he's definitely become a mat enforcer you know there's a mat enforcer at every gym he's he's one of ours for sure um no is you just end up kind of having fun and especially people get over it but newer men particularly will get very 
they're, they assume, especially if I, if they came out of a foundations class where I wasn't their teacher and they'd never seen me roll, mm-hmm. they're like, okay, well I'll go easy. You know, kind of the first match, we do three matches with them for their very first rolls. Uh-huh. And then the second one, they're like, okay, the spider monkey's coming out. Like they are <laughs> going to jump on me or do something crazy. Cause they expected it to be yeah. a little easier. And then, you know, they're more exhausted. There's more adrenaline and they're trying really hard. Some of the guys, cause I mean, they were athletes or they thought that they were good enough at fighting, yeah. you know, in a certain way. And there's a lot of ego tied up to it. And they're like, I'm not going to get beaten by a smaller woman. And then, they realize you know, like, oh, yeah, the more tense are. they get, the more <laughs> they're gripping, the more, the more tired they get. And then they're on the bottom and they are, they can't breathe, you know, and they're exhausted. And I'm usually laughing at that point. And some of them can <laughs> laugh with me. Some of them, you know, it's not, not as good, <laughs> but most of them get over. I mean, you have to get over it because they're going to go into open mat. They're going to be rolling yeah. with now guys that are black belts too. And, you know, our other upper belts and they're just, you have to lose a lot to get better. And so they either, it's a pivot point for sure. Are they going to make it through that or are they going to be too frustrated? But so those first rolls are, are kind of like that where they're so like, oh, you know? it's kind of an interesting statement. You got to lose a lot to get better mm-hmm. because that's one thing um, that I said on the Jocko podcast that I've said that in front of other people who are really good athletes and they almost personally, I feel like, I feel like you can't ignore it, but you know, I made the statement, you know, I had to learn how to lose before I could learn how to win. Yes. Yes. I, and, I really enjoyed listening to that. Actually that, that Jocko podcast for a few reasons, but it was some great like sports mindset yeah, stuff. Because some people, some people are so set and honestly, have you ever did much for like sports psychology? I haven't dove super deep into it, but I've tried to learn personality types mm-hmm. First, I tried to learn it so that I could so that I could actually be less frustrated on teams, because obviously on teams, most of the teams I was on, I was in some type of a some type of a leadership role. Or I knew I was like, whether you say like I was going to be one of the varsity leaders or starters or whatever, but I had to deal with these other personalities and some of the the ego driven mentalities versus task driven like i'm very task driven mm-hmm. um and my performances come out from task not from raw natural talent or the ego aspect but i've definitely been on teams and been around coaches where the philosophy and the motto is refuse to lose mm-hmm. and for some people, especially ones that were always naturally gifted and they had that mentality, once they realize other people get better, other people, you know, maybe you were developed earlier and now other people have like hit maturity. Other people now have like body size or coordination or muscle or other people have had the same coaching as your dad bringing you up and teaching you this, this stuff since you were five. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's like that level, that, that playing field starts to get level. Yeah. And that refuse to lose also becomes this massive derailer yeah. for some people. Yeah. And so it's, it's cool to hear that from someone that I respect a lot being yourself, like, you know, learning, you know, learning to, to to go, learning to lose so that you can go forward. I think it's just, it has to happen. It's critical. And it, it, you don't focus on performance if you're only looking at the outcome. So you can't improve technically. Yeah. And you'll see people 
rolling and they're getting so mad and you'll see it even in high level competitors they're so emotional they're so angry so they're fighting their opponent but themselves as well at the same time and you don't have space to do both if the other person's as good as you you have to be completely in that flow state completely focused on what you're doing um and the emotion doesn't really help you yeah you know yeah, I agree. Bow, bow hunting and archery is that way. I'm just going to tell you right now, um, because obviously you've, you've learned there's a lot to think about. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, of course, Andy, you know, dropping a nuclear bomb on everybody, you know, at the end of the day says like, okay, well you guys know how, you know, how much stuff you're thinking about now. Well, wait till you go bow hunting. So now you got to do all that in seven seconds. And he's like, you know, (laughs) with wind. Yeah. He's like, and then you're going to have wind and the collars over here and there's like trees falling down and like lava coming out. He's like (laughs) freaking painting the worst possible. I know. And he doesn't acknowledge how much of his former training. He's like, Oh yeah, I just went out and killed something in a few weeks. And I was like, you had so many of the prerequisite skills and oh, yeah, nerves dude. of steel yeah. and everything else. I was like, yeah, maybe you did. I'm going to take some time. <laughs> I mean, he, he's obviously, Andy is a very good student. Yeah, I mean, sure. he, he 100% focuses on the basics and he is a robot at repeating yeah. like that stuff until you say, hey, remember I told you to do that? Don't ever do that again. I want you to do this now. Otherwise, he's just going to keep doing what you taught him to begin with. Mm-hmm. But I remember um, the first time him and I were stalking, we're like stalking in and I'm, um, I mean, I'm communicating just like I would a hunter when I'm, you know, and I think I had him on my hip. So I'm just kind of like navigating him through. And then there was a point where I kind of said, like, you know, you get here, I'm going to get here and kind of check this situation out. And then I remember looking at him and I was thinking, like, it was probably from, like, a movie, but I'm like, I don't know, like, the hand sign, like, the seal, (laughs) like, hand signals. So I'm going, like, (laughs) you know, like, and he's just going... So like after that event, I go like, I go, Hey, like, what's your, like, what are your hand signals? Like your SEAL team hand signals. And he's just like, I don't know. You could have just said like one bear over there. And I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. I was like, (laughs) <laughs> like <laughs> like a first base coach like trying to get <laughs> he's like he's like he goes yeah that's just in the movies uh, i was like oh okay <laughs> yeah they usually had pretty good radio he's like he goes if i'm like he like he taught me like squeezing he's like he goes actually if i'm on your hip like that's normal yeah. and he would say like you know i'm i can you know we we do a lot with like confirming things not by talking because he's like obviously you know, you're not doing a lot of that stuff. So, and those proved to be helpful, but yeah, for him, when it came, like Andy immediately has that face when he knows, like if he knows a broadhead's getting ready to launch, yeah, he's making the face and, and he's also, I also know going in that like he's used to, like if he's got a full mag, he's probably going to rip that full mag off. So like I told him like, Hey dude, if just cause you have five arrows in the quiver, doesn't mean like once you make that shot, like it doesn't mean just keep cacking off. Around. Of yeah. And he's just like, well, why? He's like, I've waited like four months to like be able to like launch. And I'm just like, no, just don't do that. <laughs> Style it back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's called your taxidermist is going to hate you. <laughs> <laughs> so many holes. Yeah. yeah. Just sitting there sewing the whole time. Like, <laughs> damn, Andy, what is up? <laughs> uh, well, what do you want to end with? Like, is there a subject that you want to talk about? Was there you, anything where you're like, I would I would like to be able to talk to this? You did ask me yesterday, you know, as a female that was learning archery, you know, if there was anything that... Yeah, that's a good topic. ...kind of struck me, yeah, because you haven't had a ton of female students or, you know, maybe it's a... Min- it seems like it's a minority, even just you were talking about the arrow manufacturing, just lighter arrows that you would use for smaller people or for women. You yeah, know? you made a good statement. You said... Um uh, what'd you say? You said something in pink it, pink it or shrink and shrink it. Yeah. yeah that's p- what like for women's stuff. That was <laughs> yeah. like the motto, which I was like, Oh dang. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. No, I feel like one of the things that's critical and this is a good topic is getting the equipment that's, that's right for someone depending on their size. Mm-hmm. And I mean, cause Sharon is small, you know, yeah. she's small. So if I put um, a full-size bow in her hands or if I got a 70-pound bow and tried to back it all the way down, like, that's that's problematic. So for you guys, um, your bows took quite a while to get here because um, – and you got I, – I even told Andy, I said, listen, I would recommend – you spending more on their bows than what you do on your own like get them the carbon models so they're light in their hand let's custom order light limbs to where they're able to shoot their limbs you know maxed out so they have good string tension you know make sure it's coming with the right cams to where they're at a good position within that cam to where it still feels good and they're still getting good speed. And, you know, and then obviously for your arrows, I mean, it'd be easy for me to give you um, really any of the arrows that we have in stock. But the reality is like, you know, Sharon, I think I started Sharon at 30 pounds max, mm-hmm. her and Harry both. I had 30 pound bows for them. They were very small, but they could pull them back and they wouldn't get tired in five shots. Yeah. You know, I could actually go out and say, you know, let's shoot for 20 minutes and we could drill, you know, because obviously if you go at a hundred percent, like rolling all the time, just people can't take, you know, you just get burned out. So like you have to be able to have reps. So for them, I ordered it in poundages. And then as they got to where I could physically see that was that was easy for them at that point by, you know, 40 pound limbs and, you know, get the bow rebuilt with 40 pound limbs and get arrows to match so that their, their grouping is showing them what their, you know, what their dedication is putting you know you want to be able to give feedback that at least shows is a representation of like how they're doing because if you have arrows that aren't matched for a bow even if you're making good shots i would still have to tell you like hey those aren't going to group as good as if this arrow totally matched and unfortunately right now there's there's a struggle for a lot of companies to get certain types of materials and the industry is just like doing really well right now. So for you guys to get your arrows, which I wanted um, a 600 spine arrow for you guys and I wanted it in a high quality um, shaft. I didn't want to just get one that had low tolerances to Mm -hmm. where, you know, at, 40 yards your groups would be triple what you were really shooting i Mm. wanted an arrow that was 
you know, straight, consistent. I wanted to make sure they all weighed the same. So, you know, there's, you pay a price for a better product, right? but it also allows the student to really see how good they're doing. And I know it's all budget based, right? You know, but what you, you want to have something that as people are actually progressing, you're able to show them like, Hey, you are doing good. Or, right. or you also want to be able to say like, listen here, let me shoot this for you. This is what it can do. You're just not doing it. Like, you know, I I never like equipment to hold someone back. And I refer to like I shot uh, or when I played golf, I always just got my dad's hand-me-down golf clubs. Well, my dad's not as tall as me. So Mm. I just like played golf for a long time, just having to like really bend myself too low to the ground to play with those clubs. And then I think I was like, 21 or something my dad's like hey he's like hey let's go to town so we went to town and he took me to a golf shop and i'm like what are we doing he's he goes i'm gonna buy your first pair of custom clubs for you know for your birthday and so i got fitted i got custom clubs Mm -hmm. And I went out and was on the driving range and I kind of like got to actually like stand, stand up for the, the first up. time. Yeah. And when they were fitting me for the clubs and they were testing like what the head angle was on the ground, just based on my natural swing and then gave me a different like link shaft and everything. And they're like, Hey, your club speed, you know, you're pretty much swing like a gorilla. So if you have this really weak, you know, shaft, mm-hmm with that much leverage, you know, your club face is like whipping back and it's like causing these slices because even though your swing isn't bad, the equipment is like contorting to like the power, you know? So, yeah. So I can, I can imagine if someone just tried to hand their wife or girlfriend their bow, but just with the poundage mm -hmm. dialed down that they're going to have some success, but they're going to hit a plateau where it's going to be really frustrating. Yep. Um, so yeah, just having something that actually fits you, you know, and outdoor equipment too, you know, now that Sitka is actually making women's specific gear, yeah. they, you know, women's specific jujitsu uniforms are relatively new and women are not shaped like men. No. I've ripped three pairs of pants completely in half. <laughs> My hips, you, they don't fit in men's pants, yeah. you know, they just don't. And so that was, you know, a huge leap forward. I don't even wear, I don't have any men's geese anymore. You know, they just don't fit as well. And I'm yeah. in one every single day, you know, so I want <laughs> yeah. one that actually fits. Yeah. I'm surprised that didn't come along sooner. Did you tailor yours sooner? Did you just? No, say? no. I mean, because you need, you know, you need more material yeah, in the hip. Guess, so you I would guess. just get, you know, a size yeah, that kind of fit. Up. And yeah, they imagine. used to be cut a lot bigger too. And mm-hmm. as they got more specific to the sport, you want a kind of tighter gi for jujitsu. So they got cut smaller and smaller. And then before you know it, you're ripping pants. <laughs> 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 so yeah, it's, that's improved, but, um, yeah, you're just forced. If you're forced to use the wrong equipment, um, you know, that's, that's not easy. I would also say that it's very hard to learn from your partner, from a spouse. That's mm-hmm. challenging. I yeah. mean, I'm sure, you know, when teaching Sharon that you guys had some moments <laughs> that were yeah. a little bit tense, um, for snowboarding, she, she, you know, the one thing with Sharon is one, she's like a very, she's a very good student too. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually had probably less trouble than what I, the only trouble we've had has never been like Sharon, not wanting to like value what she, what I'm telling her. Cause mm-hmm. she, she knows one, I think she could do presentations on her own because she's been 
to so many of mine mm-hmm. to where she knows what I'm talking about and she can see it front firsthand. And there's also times where people like send me messages while we're eating dinner or whatever. And I'll just kind of be like, what do you think of this? And she'll be like, yeah, his hips are forward front, you know, front shoulders up. Yeah. And I'm just like, Oh yeah, that's, that's right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the majority of like the, I shouldn't say negativity, but the biggest disconnect from our husband and wife coaching is the fact that um i probably don't like like make it easier for her to practice more or like force her to practice mm-hmm. um i shouldn't say force her to practice but like she likes to shoot but i it's not like i'm like hey let's go shoot or hey i want you to i'm going to show you a bunch of exercises to where you can pull more weight or mm-hmm. you know i've always just kind of um, it's just hard because it's what I do every day, right, you know? Right. So at some point I want, you know, if I'm with Sharon, it's like, let's talk about wine and, you know, cheeses <laughs> yeah. and, you know, yeah. what kind of new Frisbee we're going to get for Luna or right. like something like that, you yeah. know? And I think, you know, for a lot of beginners in snowboarding, I would see people like break up on the hill, you know, their boyfriend's <laughs> trying to teach him to snowboard and it's just not I've going well. I've seen that from the chairlift. Yeah. I've heard like, it's not good. I told you I didn't want to come, right. but you're making me come. Yeah. I don't even like this board. Well, I imagine... Yeah. <laughs> for for archery too, if you can get another instructor at least initially to yeah. learn the basics, that would probably be better received in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I think it would have. You know, Andy has taught me some pistol, and you know he's so good at it. Mm-hmm. And um, but it can be it can be a little hard sometimes. And you know his jujitsu coach now is more Travis, which is which is good. So there's kind of a layer of, yeah. you know, we'll have conversations about it. We still, you know, we'll kind of figure things out, certain techniques together. But um, I would say Travis is more his main coach now. And I, I think having that that degree of separation, yeah. when you, if you want your wife or girlfriend to get into something and yeah. not cause a a rift, I think that that's smart so if you have a friend or you know another instructor like let yeah. th- let them learn the basics from someone else it's good advice to get, to one not try to shortchange them getting in like mm-hmm. give them the option to make choices for themselves yep and then yeah and then put them in front of someone that can give them lessons where you're not putting the pressure on them yeah of like you know watching that and that that was nice yesterday with andy he i mean he was pretty he took a back burner mm-hmm. you know and then kind of came in at the end and the only thing he really stepped in at was like knocking the arrow which was the biggest thing he stumped stumped me on you're like hey like we haven't talked about like you just load your arrows what do we so do easy. With our like hands? what's yeah. the way what's the way to do it? And I go, Oh, it's easy just like and so I like said, Here, let me have your line. I'm like standing behind you trying to do it and I'm like, I don't know how I do it. <laughs> I'm like, I think I use this finger, but then I change over. And I'm like, no, I'm no, I, I have no idea. I don't even know where I grab the arrow. So Andy's like trying to show you and I could see you're just like, let, let go. Let him tell me. <laughs> well, he, t- he took it from me and I was like, I can see you do it, but I, I'm not doing it, you know? So, well, I don't know yeah. how to, t- I, I know how to teach archery. I just don't know how to teach how to load an arrow on the string. Cause I was like, oh yeah, I freaking have never like done this. So. No one has asked that what do they do they I just don't figure know. it out better than I did I guess I don't know I, yeah I have no idea <laughs> I have no idea that was just one of those nuances where I was like uh so yeah you just, 
I have no idea. Or having the release the right way. I mean, yeah, that a, was a big one. You guys were shooting a, releases backwards. I'm for a, a while. little dyslexic, so it's uh, sometimes things get kind of flipped. Okay. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, they definitely were then. Well, <laughs> thanks so much for coming. This was yeah. awesome, and uh, I'm so I'm so happy that um, I'm so happy that you and Andy met each other too, because like you were you were like a godsend for him at a time where I think, you know, I know it was, I remember when he told me about you and, and like, and I think he was a little bit like nervous just, you know, cause he was, we talked about this with Andy. He should have got out of his previous situation way sooner, but he just doesn't quit things. And so he like, you know, he just like kept riding it out, riding it out and it wasn't healthy. And so then I think, him telling me about you was kind of a way of also saying like, I've a fish like that whole, like there's no going back. I've like totally, you know, I've moved on from that. And I think he was surprised where I was just like, so freaking excited for him and like pumped for him. Cause I'm just like, you know, he deserves it. You know, he deserves a, like a good person. Cause he's such a good person too. And, uh, and it's awesome how, freaking intense you are with certain sport too and i think it's awesome that you know you're better than him at jujitsu as well that's gonna be (laughs) awesome to just freaking keep him in check so (laughs) make sure you don't ever like let that slide always keep keep, (laughs) i already have a pretty hard time with him oh you do oh yeah (laughs) yeah dang it no i had about a six month to a year kind of reign of terror and now he's you know he's a purple belt level and he's he's an athlete he's a good learner so unfortunately yeah (laughs) (laughs) but i so appreciate you saying that because you are a true friend to him and you know you he's a public facing figure. So there's a lot of people around him or that want to be close to him, but there's only a few that are really looking out for him and really good friends. So I appreciate you. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was relieved. And then, uh, obviously once we met, you know, Sharon and I both just think the world of you, you know, we're like, dude, I mean, she can come and you don't have to. (laughs) (laughs) Moving to Iowa. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how he took that when I'm like, Hey, do you want to, you want a job? (laughs) You told me you're like that one time you were like totally hammered and you offered a job. And then Sharon's like, Oh no, he meant like, he totally (laughs) meant that. He might've been hammered, but he totally meant that. We're recruiting. Yeah. (laughs) Jiu-jitsu instructor slash arrow Fletcher. (laughs) So true. Well, awesome. I appreciate it. And, uh, knock on everybody. All right. Thanks. Be sure to check out knockonarchery.com for our full line of custom designed products, as well as free in-depth education and bow hunting entertainment to help you shoot at your best.